Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Define University podcast. Super excited about this episode. It is another another one in the Share Your Story series. So um, if you caught the last episode uh, I interviewed, I chatted with um, good friend Shannon. We talked all about pre-K education and inclusive education. And I am so excited to bring Liz on board today to talk about all things, <laughs> all things education. I cannot wait to see where this conversation uh, leads. So today's guest is Liz Bostwick, and I am just so excited to jump in. Uh, and so, Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. And of course, Lindsay, I'm just a huge fan of yours and all that you do, too. Thank you so much. I know I was thinking back to when we connected, and I think it was honestly on Twitter. If I'm, might have been Instagram, but um, I know Brian Mendler had sent me your name. He was one that he had he had suggested I check out because he saw a lot of similarities in us, and I totally agree. I think we we agree on so many things, and I just I couldn't get enough of your blog, of your book. I was just so excited for for all things, and um, I'm just so excited to um, hear your story a little bit today and get to know you a little bit better uh, through this lens. Awesome. Well, yes, it's just great to be here, and I do. I remember Brian connecting us, and. So he's such an inspiration too in the field. And then I know everything that you share, I'm always like nodding my head like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's like that good sign when you're like listening or reading something and you just smile and nod. You know it's, you know it's, it's, it's getting to your heart, right? You know it's good stuff. Absolutely. Perfect. So I would love just to start out with sharing, having you share a little bit about yourself, kind of what, what got you into education or, you know, kind of that piece, um, just so, you know, listeners know a little bit more about you. And um, I just, I just love hearing, <laughs> hearing how people got into the field. Yeah, it's always interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, everybody got into the field um, through something different. And um, so first off, as I mentioned, um, I'm Liz Bostick. I'm an instructional coach. I'm a tech integration specialist. I also work as a speaker, consultant, and I'm an author of a book, um, Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. And, you know, that book really came about because of my journey in education. So I'll step back a little bit and just share that, first off, I never, ever in my life anticipated that I would go in the field of education. So I was a good student, I did well, I did what I needed to do, but um, looking back, I know that I may not have always focused as well as I should have, and then I didn't always notice or see the relevancy to what we were being taught. And I think a lot of kids go through that. Um, I know my 15-year-old is already, he's like, what was it, what, what am, where am I going to use some of these things that I'm learning within geometry? Um, and not to say that geometry isn't important, but he too, like I think a lot of students start questioning, like, how is this going to fit me in my life? And so 
as a student, I don't know that teachers ever noticed that I wasn't fully focused because I think I could look like I was focusing without necessarily focusing. And so it really made me recognize like I didn't necessarily love school. I liked going to school for my friends. I loved sports. So I was a three season athlete. And so I was busy and active. So in general, I liked school, um, but I didn't always connect with what I was learning within school. Although, although I will say that I have certain teachers who just really stand out, who focused on creating those meaningful and authentic learning experiences. So um, I think that that's, those are some of the experiences that really stick with me as an educator today. But it wasn't until my college years, so even when I went off to college, I never thought I would be majoring in education. And of course, the school I was at is known for education. So all of my friends were doing education. Um, I was dating my husband at the time and he was in education, but I still wasn't going to go the education route. So um, I was actually focusing on psychology. Um, prior to that, I was looking at a major with communication and media and marketing because I loved, work, I loved working with that too. But I think psychology was really where my love of education grew because it was so fascinating to me to learn about um, how the brain work, works, how the brain learns. And it was in the classes that I took of psychology of the exceptional child that when I learned that brain-based education and learning and how to reach kids and how to really engage um, students and help them to be intrinsically motivated, that's when I recognized like, hey, I could do something really amazing with an education and bring that change that I think that I would have benefited from as a child. And even looking at my own children, I think that they benefit from that too. So that's when I entered the field of education. I, I love it. And you know, I, I share that love of psychology as well. I, um, I, I was a little different. I knew I wanted to go into teaching, which ironically now I'm not in the classroom as a teacher. Um, but going there, that was what I really, I was like, yes, this is it. This is, you know, I, cause I had those couple teachers that really helped me through, um, some personal, really tough times growing up. And I was like, if I can do that, then I'm gonna, then that's, that's for me. And, uh, but that, that psychology piece. So where I went to school, we were able to concentrate in something and, and I had chosen psychology. Um, to really truly understand that what's going on in the mind is so crucial, and and even through you know I went back and and I'm you know board certified behavior analyst, but I think part of what I really push is that there's still a connection between the external and the internal. Oh like, yeah. So much of what we do from the behavior standpoint is the environment, but I'm like, oh, we're cutting it short if we just go environmentally, you know. And so I love I love just unpacking the brain and, and what's going on internally because that connection between our feelings and our actions, you can't, you can't it just doesn't, it just doesn't go away. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And then, you know, even building on that, it's also looking at now, how do we create opportunities in their schools so that every child feels like they are contributing with their strengths? and leveraging their, their interests and developing their interests. And, you know, you're talking about behavior and, and all of that too, but, um, and that's such a love of mine. It's such a love of mine that um, as a classroom teacher, I, I loved getting the kids that somebody else might say like, okay, not me this time. Um, because I like, I, I always welcome the challenge because to me, I don't look at it like I'm going to ever stronghold a child, but it is about that brain-based learning. It's helping them to even understand how their brain works, how to regulate themselves, and really helping the child to understand that they have unique strengths and interests. And then if we can create those experiences in the classroom for them to feel successful, then those, a lot of the 
issues that we might see tend to go away. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, it took me a really long time to make that connection. I think between that, like strengths lead to your solutions. Whereas when we really look at like deficits or where I'm not my weaknesses, it, it just leads to frustration. It leads to, you know, resentment almost. Right. And yet that's traditionally what school is there. It's you're great at this. Good. You're not so good at this. Let's improve you. Right. Let's get you better. And I just, you know, not that I'm not about skill development, absolutely, but I think now as an adult, if there's something I'm not great at, there's somebody that is great at it, and I can go connect with them. I know how to use that skill, and I think that's often the piece that's missing is we don't, we don't need, you know, like robotic kids that are just great at everything. We need, we need for kids to know what is their skill set, what am I, what's my strength, so that when I leave school, when I leave school and whatever, if that's high school or college or whatever level that is, that I know who I am so I can use those strengths to do, to do just the best service in the world that I can. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, I love it. So, you know, I, you had mentioned your book, which I absolutely love. And just even your blog post, like I can so tell like how much you just put your passion into the words that you write in whatever sense that is. Um, is there, you know, when, tell me about like how that started. Is there anything that really kind of like, have you always been a writer? Have you always been one that uses that, that lens to kind of inspire others? Well, you know, I've always loved writing and I think looking back just at my experience in education, like that was some of, um, as a student myself, I loved writing. I loved creative writing. I liked um, working with words like that. So, um, but the book really came about, you know, I talk a little about my own experiences, but then I think being a parent and a teacher lends itself to being able to see things in a different, unique way. I would say that having my own children really influenced a lot of the things that I did in the classroom. So um, even just working with different kids that I've had that I'm like, okay, this child doesn't feel successful with math or ELA. How can I find creative ways for them to be successful in these content areas um, while also making it more relevant and feel more authentic to them? So that's where, like many years ago, I began dabbling with maker education. I began small doing that in my classroom. I did not use it as a way to say, hey, when you get your work done, you get to do this. Um, instead, what we did is we actually started the first 25 minutes of the day with that. It was just such a great way for kids to engage with one another. It's neat because they would have um, different challenges that they might be working through, whether it was coding, it could be something with robotics, um, it could be even something that they were trying to create and it would help with a glue gun or, or anything like that. And it was just so insightful that through that experience, I got to see my students call on one another to support them and help them just like you were talking about like leveraging each other's strengths and that's where i began seeing that classroom community come together along the same time we were also um, working with project-based learning so we were not a project a school that focused on project-based learning year-round but we did projects so we did um, launches that were engaging that got the kids really excited and involved the students created their own driving questions and their own projects and we broke them off um, and then we also throughout the year at different times did passion projects so um, when you when i'm talking about my book I have my, the big focus of the book, it's called um, Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. But the, and a lot of people think, okay, the focus is just on innovation, where there's that lens of innovation, like how do we create those opportunities for kids? But more so it's about how do we create the culture where every learner can really thrive? And that's always starting with relationships and trust, um, all the things that I know that you talk about and share about too. So 
Um, and like I said, just having my own kids, like I saw some places where they were struggling in school and I could automatically be like, okay, well, what if we did X, Y, and Z? I think that could just create all those shifts. Um, so, you know, in, in writing the book, that's really where the focus, and even though the um, acronym of LEAP stands for creating that luminous culture, empowering learning, creating authentic learning opportunities and experiences so that every individual, teachers included, can reach their full potential. Because to me, that's what it's all about. I think every individual has just, and every child just has incredible inner potential, but we have to look at how do we create environments that just really unleash that in our students. Yeah, it's so good. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big like alliteration or like you have leap stands for things. It's just, you know, it's something that I love. And I, I find myself lately as I'm really kind of diving more into all of this, you know, choice and voice is what constantly comes to my, to my mind, right? So we, we want to hear everybody's voice, students, staff, everybody, you know, parents, community, but that has to come through a lens of choice, right? It, does, it can't, it can't come through a lens of do this to gain that. And I think that's what, you know, for me, you know, hearing, hearing what you're saying and, and this passion project, doing things that, that, open the, that open the opportunities for students to demonstrate mastery, I think is just huge. And it's, it's gonna increase that success. It's gonna increase that confidence. And I love that you, start, you started your days with it. You know, one of the quickest tips, if I'm called into a classroom and students are challenged in the morning, that is like my go-to tip of, stop the morning work for a little bit, right? Like stop the paper pencil um, task because if math is the my least favorite thing and I'm reviewing math in the morning, I'm reviewing it because I don't know it. <laughs> I'm not setting my day off on the right on the right foot. So I love that and just having that, you know, opportunity to get their hands on something, get their minds thinking and working in a way that truly lends to their strengths. And you know, you mentioned coding and oh my goodness, we do, you know, our schools will do a lot with coding and I love going into the classrooms that, that time because I know nothing about it. And so I get to be like, teach me. Like, and they're like, you, you know how to do this. I'm like, I really don't. That is not in my, you know, wheelhouse at all. And it's really cool to see their eyes light up and they're so passionate and it's just a really cool experience. You know, and to piggyback off of what you're saying is that, um, and first off, I do want to share that that was not even my idea to do that first thing in the morning. That was my student's idea. So I had a student years ago, her name was Bloom, and she had that fantastic idea. And I'm like, let's do it. Um, so yeah, she she was all over the concept and the kids helped me. They had um, voice and choice in how we organized it and what it was going to look like. Um, but I will say that years to follow later, it's, it's a, I've also noticed that it directly impacted student attendance. So I had a couple of students through the year who struggled um, attending school regularly. And so attendance was an issue. And what we noticed is that in the years when we increase that. So if we had students and let's say we kicked that off starting in October when some of our routines were down, um, we noticed attendance start increasing because kids had a good start to their day. It was a good time not just for them to engage in something, but they also got to connect with their peers. And, um, and I think just making them feel like they had something to offer. And I love how you shared that when kids are doing something like coding, you're like, teach me about it. And I think the more opportunities we can give to students to say, I know this and I can teach my teacher about this. You know, teachers don't have to hold all the knowledge. I knew basic coding, but I was not a coding expert by any means whatsoever. But I put it in my students' hands and I'm like, okay, show me what you can do with this. And they took it on. And I think that's the most exciting part of education is when you can get the kids doing things that they're excited about 
and then let them teach you about it and be the guide on the side, the facilitator of that learning um, rather than somebody who's just trying to um, have that compliance-based classroom because that's where really, that's where those power struggles occur and that's where we see kids begin checking out or not wanting to be involved or we might see negative behaviors begin in the classroom. So for me, it's all, always about how do I get every child to reach their full potential? And so it's really about creating that culture and the love of learning and providing learning experiences where every child can connect with something and feel like they're making a difference and making an impact. Yeah, I, I, I totally resonate with that. I love, you know, to me, learning is circular, right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not one directional. It's not this way or that way. It's, you know, I think create, create the, the environment in your classroom, create the, the mission of your classroom to be, I'm going to learn from you and you're going to learn from me, or I learn from you and you learn from me. And I think when you give that, that power, which is what so many kids, you know, not even want, they need, especially if they don't have it at home. Be like, you mean, I get to choose this. I get to show you how I know this through that lens. And, you know, I think what, what I hear is, is like pushback at times or not even put, but hesitation, maybe some fear is the how, right? Like, okay, this sounds great. I understand it. And, and I always say start small and simple and strategic. And what I mean by that is start small, meaning something you could do today, like a change you could make today within five minutes, do it. Simple, meaning like as just as simple as can be. Don't overthink it. I think so often we, we, we overthink things. And then the strategy part is make it about your kids, right? Is, is don't just go to a book and say, we're going to do this lesson because it sounds great. Or because, you know, Liz said she had great success with it. Do the strategy is you use the knowledge of your students. You know your students, or hopefully you do, right? Through the relationships and the connections. So pick activities, pick, bring in things that are, that are for your students. To me, that's where the strategy comes in. Um, so do you have any tips that, that you've shared with teachers on kind of where to start or how to start? Well, I love everything that you shared because that's one thing that I hear a lot. They're like, well, if I do makerspace or if I do project-based learning, it's going to be chaos. Um, you're right. In some regard, I, I think that for some people, if they were just like, here's materials, go at it. Yeah, it's maybe chaotic. So um, we like to err on the side that the children will be able to handle that, but we, we each of us know our groups differently. Um, and you know, I work right now with a city district where before I was working with more of a rural suburban district. So everything looks, it looks different everywhere. So there's never one cookie cutter model that fits everybody and their students. So you have to know yourself. You have to know what works well for you. Some teachers can't or don't want to function or struggle to function if there's projects all around. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm a little bit like that. I like my room to look neat and tidy. However, I like my students to have that creative side. So even with our makerspace, for example, we had constraints in the classroom. We, had, we did have a school makerspace too, which was great, but we had cabinets where everything was put back within. Um, so we had organizational strategies. There's also strategies where you can um, have kids rotate through different stations, if you will, whether no matter what it is that you're doing so that kids get exposed. And I, and maybe develop some different interests than they, that they might not have known that they had. So there's opportunities like that. So structure, I think, is always important. So, um, but flexible structure with that said. Even project-based learning. Um, it's all about looking at 
what's something that's relevant to students. It doesn't have to be a whole year long project or a month long. In fact, I really recommend to teachers to keep something short, do a mini PBL to begin with. Start small, just like you said, start with basic shifts, little shifts, something that will lead to big impact. And I would say that over the years, that's what I did. When I started out 15 years ago teaching, I thought I would, went into education to make this significant change and I envisioned exactly what it was going to be like. And then I was so disappointed when it was nothing like I thought because I was brand new. I was such a novice and a newbie. Um, and what happened is I felt so overwhelmed by just the pressures and the mandates that I just kind of fell in line with doing what doing exactly what I, the opposite of what I set out to do. Um, and so for me, even where I grew in those 15 years, it took time. So for me, it was all about little shifts. And I even stepped back from education when our youngest was born for um, roughly just almost three years. And I wasn't even sure if I was going to go back into education at that point. And um, really, though, being a mom just inspired me to go back into education and go back and do what I set out to do. So again, I think that so often we just, we get exhausted or we feel overwhelmed by everything, um, but start out small. So even if it's starting out with having your kids come in and share one thing that they hope to learn or something that they would like to experience, those are great ideas. Um, even if you're not ready to take on project-based learning, one thing that I talk about in my book too is that you don't have to specifically do um, exactly makerspace or project-based learning or passion projects. If that seems overwhelming, just look at in the day, where can you incorporate choice for students? Where can you amplify their voice? And I think for me, that's a lot of where I started out and then it grew and it built on um, everything that I was doing. So a lot of it's just scaffolding what feels right to you, what feels right to your students and making those adjustments along the way. Yes, I, so I totally resonated with when you were talking about like what you had learned and how this isn't, this isn't what was in the classroom. And the, the picture that always comes in my head when I, when I hear this type of story is, and I could rock the unit plan when I was in college. Like I had, I was the student that had like the inch binder, the matching cover, the, all the pictures, and I could do a lesson plan and a unit plan like, like that. And then fast forward, you know, six months into my classroom, and I was like, my kids won't even sit in chairs. How am I supposed to teach this lesson plan, right? Because in my head, it was do this. This is what a good teacher does. I had this different definition of what a teacher was supposed to do. And I remember just thinking, I, I remember being lost. I remember feeling so out of place. And, and I've, shared, I've shared on the podcast before, like I kept asking for support, but I didn't know what that actually was. So I wasn't actually getting it, right? Because I wasn't able to say, how am I supposed to do both? And what I really needed to just tell myself is you don't need to do both, right? You're already the teacher that your students need you to be. And I think that's once I understood that shift. And for me, that came when I came out of the classroom. You know, I was in the classroom for five years and then I really went more into like a behavior consultant type role. But it's really the last couple of years that I've understood the importance of the mindset piece, the mindset and the language piece. Because if I don't, I, you know, I always say like, if I'm, if I'm, who am I? And instead, I can become who I am, then you can live into the educator that you're meant to be. And I love the term educator because to me, it's teacher and coach, right? It's together. It's, I'm, yep, I have knowledge, I have information I'm going to share with you, but I'm also going to be right by your side, helping you learn the information in a way that makes, makes you grow as the student. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I think, like I said, it was, it took me time to step away to realize like, no, I do have something to contribute. I, you know, and it's not that I didn't feel like I had something to contribute necessarily. I just felt like I wasn't as successful as I envisioned myself being. Um, and that felt frustrating. And I think there's a lot of educators that are in that, in that position. And you even mentioned, you know, you're like, how do I get the kids to sit down to do this? So um, it's an over, there's a lot of things going on in the classroom. So that's why it's so important to pick one thing and give it a shot. So again, providing that choice and amplifying voice um, and incorporating best strategies and, and practices in the classroom. So there's just so many things to look at, but uh, you know, ultimately it boils down to looking at relationships and fostering trust um, and never humiliating a child in front of their peers. And so that to me is huge because once you do that, you break that trust and those are the kids that will oftentimes push back. So um, focusing on culture first and foremost, but also where we can incorporate um, opportunities for children to really feel successful, to me, that's what it's all about. And that's where I found myself as an educator, like you were talking about. So yes, and I believe we're educators. I, I like that term much better than just teachers because I don't think we're just teaching. We're learning along the way. And as I said, yes, kids can be empowered in the classroom. They can be doing authentic projects that are hands-on and creating their own questions and working through that once that foundation is built. Um, but I also think there's always those opportunities where sometimes we do have opportunities where we're saying, hey, we need to do some direct instruction here. And so I never want teachers to have that misunderstanding that my mission is all about only hands-on learning. I think authentic and hands-on meaningful learning is critical in the classroom, but we have to remember that there are times that we do need to deliver information. We, Of course, we're going to work in small groups. So some of those things that may be categorized as tr traditional are still beneficial to our students. So always doing what you know is best for your students in, in the moment. Absolutely. I think, I think too, it comes down to um, what skill are you teaching? Are you growing? Are you strengthening versus the specific lesson? Right. Yes. Because there is, you know, I, there, there's times as an adult, I do need direct instruction. I need someone to tell me this is, you know, this is how, this is how it is, or this is what I want you to learn. This is what I want you to do. But then there's plenty of other times where I have more of a creative lens. I have more things that, that I have um, maybe some autonomy over. And so I agree with you. I think it's a blend. It's not, I think so often we can fall into that all or nothing trap, right? We hear the buzzwords, we hear all the things. And I think what's, what I remind educators of all the time is, is what, what, do you, what, what, do you, what feels good in you, right? You know your students. And that might change based on the year. That might change based on the, the collective group of students you have in your classroom, right? And you might decide, you know what, this isn't the best route because of this, and let's try this instead. And I think that's where, you know, I think that's where how we reignite our passion every year. You know, when, I, when, we're, when we're doing the same thing every year, same lesson every year, it does get boring. Oh, <laughs> and, for sure. You know, and if I'm bored, then my students are certainly bored. So we talk about reigniting passion, it's, it's putting all this together and trusting that exactly what you're doing is, is needed for your students, as long as you're doing it through a lens of reflection, of growth, and of that continuous learning that I teach, you know, I teach and you teach me as well. Yep, absolutely. Spot on. Um, all of those are just so critical. And I think that reflection piece, like you just mentioned, is huge. Like we have to be able to step back and reflect. And, and if we ever notice that our students are struggling, not just academically, but if we think, you know, as, as you mentioned too before, just if they're struggling with behavior or if they seem bored, then what can we do differently? What are those small, slight 
shifts that we could embrace just to make an impact on, on our students because, um, yeah, we need to feel passionate about what we do, but we also need to help our students to feel inspired to learn. We want them to be lifelong learners ultimately, and what we don't want is to create students or classes of students who go through who don't want anything to do with education or who are like, I can't wait to get out of here. We want kids to love school. Um, and I think our schools have so much to offer when, when we meet the kids where they're at and provide them the platform to be successful. I love it. I, I, so one last thing I want to, I want to touch on, I saw the other day somewhere on social media, um, you know, we don't ever hear kids saying, um, I hate learning. They'll say, I hate school. Right. And I'm sure I haven't heard it before, but just in the context that I heard it, especially kind of with everything going on right now, I was like, that's so true. They, they don't. It's never I hate learning new information. It's, it's the place. Right. So as we are, you know, things are still very unknown with the future of what, you know, when we're back in the buildings, when we're back there. And I believe we will be. I know we will be. Um, what is are there? I'd love for you just to share like a quick tip or a positive tip that, you know, of really looking at just creating that environment. I think that's gonna be so crucial when we're making that switch from learning at home, virtual learning, to being back in the classroom. Is there something that you know you did when you were in the classroom or you coach and teach you know teachers on now to really kind of set the stage of the environment, something they could do quick and simple that first day to really just you know create that community? Well, you know, I'm really big into social emotional learning as well and looking at how we can meet the needs of all kids. And that's a huge focus on, I know a lot of us are talking about that right now because we know there's going to be that need. So one thing I really encourage educators to do is to take the time to engage in morning meetings. I know that so often people say, I don't have time. I have to get to this. I have to get to that. Um, I need to check in to do kids have their supplies. But even if you're virtually, you can have those check-ins. You can have those morning meetings of sorts. If they're older kids, you don't have to call it a morning meeting. You can call it a, a group chat, whatever you want to call it, um, but be able to have those opportunities. I love using tools such as um, Nearpod where there's opportunities for kids to draw. So we were just working with a group of teachers the other day that um, it was we were doing a social emotional demonstration and it had an outline of a face and within Nearpod students can draw like how they're feeling that day. So it's a nice way that the teacher, if kids aren't comfortable sharing out verbally with everybody um, within a morning meeting, especially if it's the beginning of the school year and they don't know everybody yet, it's really nice. Technology gives even the quietest student a voice. So what I love about things such as Nearpod, and that's just one example, um, but I love that they can draw an expression of how they're feeling. They can add in a word. Um, they can in include voiceovers to be able to share that. And it doesn't have to go to the whole class. It can go just to the teacher. Um, and I think that that's where we get those insight about our, our students and we can make those adjustments based on their needs. So I would highly recommend for people to find opportunities where they can dig a little bit deeper into how kids are doing. But taking the time for um, the morning meetings. And the one last thing I would say too is, I know some people will joke about icebreakers or team building, um, but I'm a firm believer in experiential learning. And so we've always done team building in our classroom, um, creating the caring classroom community environment. Um, so we would do the activities, but then most importantly, following those activities, we would debrief them. So how did that go? What was the communication like? Um, what's something that we could have done differently? If we were to try it again, what would we do? A lot of times people might do team building, but they skip those debriefing questions, which is what lets kids process what happened and then re be reflective in, in what occurred. So um, I would definitely share, I would recommend those two ideas for teachers just moving forward.
Yeah, I love that. And I think, I think you're so right. I think it comes down to the purpose behind it, right? If you're, again, if you're, if you're doing it because someone told you you should, you know what, I'm going to tell you to get out of should mode, right? Don't do it because of that reason. Do it because of the purpose. And I think the purpose comes from the debriefing, right? The purpose comes from, it's not that we did this activity. It's we did this activity and what did we learn from it? What did we experience? Who did we connect with? What did I learn about myself? I think that's the deeper purpose. And if we aren't doing that reflection, that debriefing, not only we as the educator can miss that component, but the students do too. And I think oftentimes, you know, I think words like icebreakers or even like role play, they get those like people like, nope, I'm not doing it. And, you know, so I'll say to people, just don't call it that then, right? Like I had a student this year that strategies was so aversive because why? Because every time he had a moment, someone was like, use a strategy. And he's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to learn new strategies. I want to be mad, which was so, I was like, guys, that's what he's saying? Then let him be mad. And let's yeah. let him be mad in, a, in an expected way in terms of giving him a space where he can have privacy and he can work through that emotion instead of just saying, you know, layer it up with a strategy. So I said, we don't have to call it that. You know, if, if, if it's something else, then just call it the activity or say, we're going to do this today. But I think so often, you know, that's where my behavior brain comes in. We're, we're conditioned because of past experiences. And if you haven't had good past experiences with them, you may, you may shy away. You know, I, I um, in a previous position, we did restorative circles. But they were only ever used when something went wrong. So quickly, I was like, I don't like these. <laughs> I don't like, you know, I felt very confront, you know, confrontational. I felt, I just didn't, they, I, to me, we weren't taught the whole. Well, this year I went to training on them and I'm like, man, this is like dynamic. This opens up a whole, you know, opportunities. But without having that experience before, I, I was quick to be like, nope, I don't like them. Right? And I think that happens with our students. We have to ask those questions. Like, why is it that you don't want to join? What's going on? Of course, in private, because privacy always prevails. But I think that's where we learn about our kids. And that's where we can make those decisions to where we see that progress. Um, and it's just a continual piece. And not everything we do is going to work, but some part of it is going to teach us something for the future. I like, I like how you shared that sometimes kids won't want to participate in something. And that's something I always hit on too, is that if somebody doesn't want to share in a morning meeting, you cannot force that. Same thing, if somebody doesn't want to participate in an activity, we cannot stronghold a child and force them. However, we can create the conditions that encourage them to want to participate over time and get to the root of why they're not comfortable. Um, but that's why I like to incorporate the technology because that does the, the students who may not want to share their voice or might not want to talk at that time, it gives them an avenue to be able to share that out. And so it's really all about creating those adjustments so that we can help our kids through any situation. Um, and also, I don't know, something along the way, I don't know if it was when we were talking about debriefing, but it reminded me about not just the importance of debriefing, but that it's okay to emote. And so one thing that we work with students on when we're doing a lot of the experiential learning and the team building is that it's okay to say, I hate math it's okay to say, I didn't like this course. And so many times I, I find that educators are like, well, you, we can't say that. No, math is so good. You need math. Um, but it's so, it, we just have to know that it's okay that we all have different emotions. And when kids get to express those emotions, then they begin to be able to move past that too, or we can help them understand what they don't love, but then help them to connect with what, what can go well for them or why they might need it or you know, um, find those areas of success for them. Absolutely. Oh, I so love it. Thank you so much. I so many good 
good tips and and just I think it's just so essential that you know it's not all about the strategies it's about the, the combination it's about the connection and the relationships because the strategies they, they only work in my opinion when we believe they will work when we trust Absolutely. in them when we have trust in ourselves when our students trust us as you've mentioned several times um, if people want to to connect with you find more about you where is it that that they should go well, you can go to my website, which is elizabethbostwick.com. I am Elizabeth with an S, so sometimes that throws people off. And you can find links to my social media. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Facebook. So you can find me there. And I'm at Eliza Bostwick if you um, look that route. So, but yep, awesome. always excited to connect with others. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. I loved hearing your story and everything you had to share. And I'm just so appreciative for your time today. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to talk with you. All right. Have a great day. You too. There you have it, everyone. Another episode of the Define University podcast and another episode of the Share Your Story series, which are quickly becoming some of my absolute favorite episodes to not only record, but learn from. I don't know about you, but I learned so many amazing tips and tricks and just things to consider from Liz in uh, this week's episode. So make sure you connect with her, follow her, take on all of her things. And while you're there, make sure we are connected as well. You guys know I love all social media outlets so you can find me over on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, I'm there. And uh, please send a message. Please connect. I love chatting with you guys. If you have future topics for the podcast that you would love to love me to talk about, head on over to my website, www.defineuniversity.com, and uh, head to the podcast page, and you can leave me a note right there. So easy, so quick, so simple, and uh, I love hearing from you guys. So with that, everyone, have an amazing week ahead, and as always, we We'll talk soon.